Okay, Mark chapter 8 is where we're looking at tonight. And um, remember that what we talked about last week, we said we're doing a series entitled Defeated, Why Christianity is Hard to Believe. And what do we say defeated meant? Or why are we using that language? Well, we talked about the concept, I have to be ever so brief as we kind of cover it, about defeater beliefs. You may say, what is a defeater belief? Well, a defeater belief is any belief that when held makes another belief hard or impossible to believe. It's like belief A, when it's held, I, I won't believe belief B. And because it, 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 it doesn't fit in my mind with belief A. So all semester long, we're examining, therefore, some of the most common held beliefs uh, we can't hit them all, or, that are barriers to a more robust, colorful embracing of Jesus from the heart. Now, everybody, we said, both Christian and non-Christian, has some set of beliefs that makes Christianity either in part or on the whole hard to accept, or that is hard to actually live out. So we're trying to look at these each week in an attempt to sort of clear the noise a little bit, to clear things out of the way so that we might embrace Jesus more fully, believing in Him, and so on. Because in the end, the point is, in all of this, whether you're a Christian or whether you're not, my heart for you is that you would embrace Jesus, either for the first time or for the billionth time. Okay? That's sort of the, that's sort of the thrust of the series. So, I want to ask you guys a question. If you are a Christian... Why do you follow Jesus? And what is that like for you? Why do you follow Jesus? What is that like if you're a Christian? Second, for the non-Christians in our midst, what about Jesus makes Christianity hard to believe? Not other people, but what about Jesus himself? And as you consider those questions, will you pray with me as we get started? Our Father in heaven, thank you that you have spoken. Thank you that you are good to your people. You love, Lord. You love incomprehensibly. And you seek us out. Scriptures say that we have loved because you have first loved us. That is good news, O Lord, to know that you don't leave us as helpless, but that you come after us, that you pursue, that you're the hound of heaven, as it were that you find us, and that you set your love and affections on us. And so tonight, O Lord, we pray that with great joy that you might open our hearts, whether we're somebody who knows you and has walked with you from some time, whether we're somebody that don't know why we're here, that we don't know what to make of Christianity because we're so full of doubts, we're all in desperate, deep need of you. And so would you speak even now through me? Would you take, O Lord, a broken arrow, a crooked arrow, and deliver a straight, uh, straight blow. And we ask this all for your glory's sake. Amen. My senior year of college, my roommate Benson and I had this fantastic idea that we should get a dog. Bad idea. <laughs> this little, this friend of his had this new little litter of puppies. And in light of that, these little golden retrievers I loved Goldens, and so I wanted to go see them and kind of decide. So we actually went, we found our little puppy, we took the little incredibly cute Golden Retriever home, and we named him Raleigh. Now, Raleigh was a hot mess. That dog was something else. 
When he was a puppy, he chewed on our clothes. He tore up our furniture. He always peed and pooped in the house at the most inopportune times. Golden retriever. We would take the ball, show it to him, throw it, and then he would look up at us and just smile. I thought, this dog is broken. Send him back, you know? Well, finally, Benson, got, he just decided that, you know what, we got to send this dog to dog training class to train him how to fetch, but more importantly, how to not chew stuff up and not how to pee and poop in the apartment. And you know what? It worked. Raleigh did really well and took to his training. He had been trained. He was now somewhat controllable. He was now somewhat manageable. And then one day, as Raleigh and I were running... I had taken him back home with me, and we were running at a good pace, and there was a major highway that we were T-bowing with, and as he pulled on the leash, it snapped. He ran out into traffic and was killed by a car. I'm just kidding, that didn't happen. Actually, what happened was, I know that was cruel, but I had you hook, line, and sinker. What actually happened was, Raleigh was running at a breakneck speed, And he stopped and pulled my shoulder almost out of socket and pooped right there on the grass with a passing traffic I was embarrassed by and just couldn't, I I just didn't know what to do with Raleigh. The disillusionment began to settle in that Raleigh was not as controllable as I thought. You see, he was, after all, a dog. And dogs really don't care where they go to the bathroom. They do it wherever they want to do it. No matter how hard I wanted to try, I could not get the, quote, dog out of the dog. He was uncontrollable. He wasn't quite as manageable as I thought. Okay, why do I share that story with you? I would like to suggest that most of you, including myself, have at some point in your life looked, thought, and conceived of God as I had Raleigh that day that I can slap a leash around him, that I can pull and he'll stop, that he's controllable, and that he's manageable. And what this text is going to tell me today is that nothing could be further from the truth. And that I'm actually entitling this, this sermon, The Manageable Jesus, because that is the defeater belief. In sum, if you don't hear me say anything else tonight, That if you maintain that Jesus is manageable like a dog on a leash, you will not know what to make of Christianity. It will utterly frustrate you. It will be, you'll miss the entirety of it. And as we'll see, that when real tragedy and suffering come in your life, You won't know what to make of it. You won't know how to deal with it. So this text is going to show us three things. First of all, it's going to show us what the nature of this manageable Jesus mentality is. What it's like. When I say the nature of something, I mean its essence. What it's like. Secondly, it's going to show us the allure. I could not find a word that rhymed with nature, so allure is what you got. The allure of the manageable Jesus. Why we want it. Then lastly, this rhymes the cure for the manageable Jesus. How to fix it. So those three things, the nature, the allure, and the cure 
for the manageable Jesus. First of all, what is the nature of this manageable Jesus? Take a look with me there in the text. Let's turn our eyes there. I'm going to read it just ever so briefly. Verse 34, And he called to the crowd with his disciples and said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and for the gospel's sake will save, will save it. What is the nature of this manageable Jesus mentality? This text is showing us, you guys, that there are two fundamental settings of the heart. And actually, there's one fundamental setting uh, left by ourselves. And that is, as a great reformer once mentioned, Martin Luther, he said that our hearts are incurvitus in se. Now, if you don't take Latin, what that means is this. It means that our hearts are literally bent in on themselves. That they that they don't love God. That they actually are in a place left by ourselves. What this is saying is that left to ourselves, that we will not deny ourselves. That the fundamental heart structures is one that's set up over against God. And rather than denying ourselves, we would deny God. And really, when I talk about the manageable Jesus, everything that flows out of wanting to control Jesus, to control Him and keep Him at bay, to keep Him on a leash, flows from this fundamental heart structure that says, I'm in charge, I have rights that are inalienable, and that, God, You sit underneath me. Think about it like this. It's very common. And I did the, I'm did. i going to tell you a story about Ryan. Okay, When I was in college, I had grown up in church my entire life. I had grown up. I knew what to say. I knew what to do. I knew how to pray. I could find the book of Habakkuk in the Bible. That's how awesome I was. But I had no idea about what it meant to actually deny myself and to love Jesus. When I was in college, when I was actually probably my freshman through junior year-ish, I was your standard sort of party kid. But I had it all together. I knew how to go to church. But I didn't have the first sort of iota in my heart and being a love and a desire to actually know and to love Jesus. In other words, Jesus was like this little trinket to me. And when I needed him, I would pull him out of my pocket and put him on the shelf of my life. And it was really easy when I needed him and I wanted him to do what I needed him to do. Hey God, I've got in a pickle. So I'm going to pull it out of my pocket, put him in there. Can you help me? Life's sort of gone to the crapper and back. I pull him out of my pocket, there he is. I need him. But there was no way the rest of my life was going to be governed and sat under who he was and what he had said. The manageable Jesus. Do you see what I'm getting at? What's the, uh, what's the nature of it? The nature is ultimately this. 
We want Jesus to be easy to follow and for us to be able to dictate, dictate the terms with which we follow Him. And let me ask you, in the end, when you have that mentality, who is really playing the role of God? You or Jesus? I don't have to say it. I think all of us know that it's us. That it's us saying to our Creator, you bend to me. You do what I say. And that's how we roll. And what Jesus says in this text, that unless you begin to deny that part of your heart and take up your cross, which we're going to look at in a second, it says you cannot follow me. That's the nature of the manageable Jesus. So I just want to ask you very simply, where in your life is it very easy to follow Jesus? I am not saying that the Christian life is always characterized by hardship. I'm not. I can point to verses like John 10.10 where Jesus says, I have come to give them life and life to the full. I can point to the letter of Philippians. It's a letter about rejoicing and rejoicing in the Lord. But I can also point to parts in Timothy where, where Paul writes to Timothy and says, anybody, anybody who desires to live a life after Christ will experience suffering. And Jesus, our Lord Himself, says, to follow Me will require death. Pretty hefty words. That's not manageable. The nature of the manageable Jesus. Secondly, why is there an allure for it? You know what I mean by the, the allure? Why is it attractive? Why do we so want it? Here's what it is. If that's the case, if I don't have to deny myself, I actually don't have to die. And that's a lot easier. Right? I mean, the reason the manageable Jesus is so nice and clean and neat and everything is because it's simple. It's easy. A good friend of mine is in a Bible study that they are reading a book called Jesus or something like this. It's called Fan or Follower. How, how many of y'all know about fandom and the ease with which it is to, follow, to be a fan of Jesus? He's a really cool guy. That when I need him, I can pull him out, that sort of thing. You see what I'm getting at? Why is it alluring? It's alluring because it costs us nothing. Because you see... You can put fish on the back of your car. You can take the label of Christian. And deep down, it, you, you, don't ha- you don't have to die. That's the allure of it. Because you can get all of the benefits, so to speak, so you think, by a simple label. You know what? That's real attractive. Because why? You and me can come to RUF. And you and me can go to any other, you can go to church and read your Bible. And it's really alluring. But there's no, there's no actual sort of denying, as it were, in this text. Look with me. He says this in verse, um, in verse 34. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Two quick little points before we move on. Y'all know what a cross was? A 
cross was, the, it was what the state used to kill people. It was the equivalent of our electrocution chair, our gas chamber. I think some states, they don't ever use it. I think they actually still have like a hangman's noose and a firing squad as the state's form of, uh, of state's execution. So could you imagine tying an electric chair around your neck and wearing it? You know what I mean? Wearing a ring with like a rifle on it. It's a mark of the firing squad. It was a brutal form of death. And moreover, for Jesus to say, following me means picking up that cross. Let me just ask you this. Do you know that following Jesus in some respect, do you know what it's going to feel like? Does anybody want to take a stab at it? You can say it out loud. What's following Jesus at times going to feel like? It's going to feel like death. It's going to feel like death. Boy, Ryan, you're not being real positive tonight. We're going to get there. My point is this. How many of y'all on this campus, you know what it looks like to walk with Jesus? You move along with Him. I'm just going to like pick an example, all right? For me, this is Ryan, okay? Let's just go to Ryan's college years. It's Friday night. I'm at the fraternity house. It's party time. It's time to get it on. And here I am taking the name of Jesus. I said, you, you have taken me, O Lord. You have called me to Yourself. And in this moment, in this moment, I'm saying, Lord, by Your grace, I want to pound, I want to pound that six-pack. I want to pound it. And for me to not do that because of what Jesus has called me to, do you know what that feels like for me in that moment? It feels like dying. That's what it feels like. The allure is that we get to stay alive. It requires nothing from us. And yet what Jesus is saying is that to follow me, when it hurts, it's like, welcome to the club. This is exactly how I called it. All those years ago, that to follow me will feel like death. So lastly, how in the world are we going to get out of this mentality? Where's the cure for it? Where in the world can we find hope in the midst of this? Well, look here. He says, for whoever would save his life will lose it. But for whoever loses his life for my sake in the Gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his life? The cure for it. Y'all, the point that Jesus is trying to make here is that in the end, it's who in the world will be able, who will you deny? Well, do you deny yourself, your self loves, the things that you love and hold on to, the things that you want to control about Jesus? Or will you deny God? And Jesus here says that those of us who might deny Him, 
that before the Father's face, Jesus says, you can read about this in Matthew, Jesus says, I never knew you. And if I'm just being honest, like, listen, let's cut through the noise. If I'm just being honest, I can't live up to that. Can y'all? Can y'all follow Jesus? Like, can y'all follow Jesus like this? The, the bar is set far too high for me. I'm a busted man because I really do fight with my wife. I really can be a jerk to y'all. I really do love money too much. I'm a greedy man. What's it for you? Where's the bar? You struggle with gossip? Do you talk behind people's back all the time? Do you throw people under the bus? How do you treat people? Are you, do you size them up? And you accept them on the way they look? What about your sexuality? Where are things that you struggle with? What about, I don't know, some, what, are, what are the things that you wrestle with? If you name it, the bar is set above it. And we need help. And most of us at this point look to Jesus and we say, that's the example that I need. I got it. I look at Him. And I see that He's an example. And so all I have to do is just try to live like Him. And you know what? You're digging your grave further. Because you know why? He's too perfect for you. You can't try hard enough. You can't muster up the strength enough to live like Him. And so what you need is not an example. You actually need a substitute. You need somebody that when you deny Him, won't deny you. That in the midst of your denial of Him, will come to you and own you for His own. And will say, that one is mine. That one is mine. And do you know that that's what you get in the person of Jesus? The manageable Jesus. I want to close with two quick thoughts. If I were to ask you what you really want deep down, the reason why we love a manageable Jesus is because we want a life that's easy and that we can say we have Jesus too. And what I'm saying is from that is that actually that modality, that way of life is actually incredibly subpar. It's not living like you're meant to live. You see, deep down, I think every single one of you long for some sort of transcendence, some sort of ultimate meaning in your life. And you cannot have it when you have a manageable Jesus. Because all you have is some sort of Jesus that you've made up. And guess what? That's not the God of the universe. That's a small little idol. It's, not the, it's, it's a God of your own making. And here I just want to ask you, why would you follow that? Why would you give your life for that? And I'm saying you won't. You won't. You won't do it. Rather, 
What you, what you have here in this text is a God that comes to you and says, where you have denied me, I own you. I call you my own. I'll close with this. When I talk about denying and I say, oh, you know, I want to follow a God of my own making. Let me come at it from another angle. If you actually have a Jesus that you can't contain, that you can't manage, and that isn't easy to follow, guess what? You didn't dream him up. You might be. In fact, I would say you are. You're dealing with the real deal. So here's what you need. You need a Jesus. You need a God that's actually unmanageable. In fact, He's the only one worth giving your life to. He's the only one worth giving your life up for because He's the only one ever deep down that's really ever going to satisfy you, that's ever going to make your life complete, that's ever going to give you any sort of ultimate purpose and meaning in your life. If you think I'm lying, what happens when suffering comes? What happens when the parent dies? What happens when the boyfriend breaks up with you? When the girlfriend breaks up with you? What happens when you fail the class? You now are dealing with something that is unmanageable and untamable. You are. You're out of control. And all I'm saying is, you're actually now in the realm and in the spot of dealing with a God that is incredibly unmanageable and is incredibly loving. You see, in the Gospel, you have a God that gives up everything for you when you would give up nothing for Him. And that, when that begins to sink into your heart, it begins to move you. It really begins to shift the fundamental structure of your heart. And so, again, I just leave it with that. You see the nature. You see the allure. And what's the cure? The cure is this. You need a substitute. And you get it right here in this text. Will you all pray with me?